You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. If you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes. And if you want to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash killerqueenspod, where as little as $3 a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content. Now on to today's case. All right, where we left off last time Mm -hmm. was Amber Wright's mom calling in, well, I guess Kyle's mom too, saying that the police needed to talk to her son, Kyle. He had information in Seth Jackson's disappearance. So police take both Kyle and Amber in for questioning. And now we have Detective Rhonda Stroop come in and she's going to be like doing their actual interrogations. I love this woman. She is amazing. So she confiscates. I always say that word wrong. She confiscates. You, you say confiscates. <laughs> Some people say especially. That's I true. Don't. Some people say. Was it that across? Yes, yes, they do say that. Go ahead. She confiscates both of their cell phones and begins questioning Kyle in an interrogation room with his mother, Tracy, present. So Kyle tells Detective Stroop that Seth had come to the house to talk to Amber. He says that he, Amber, Charlie, and Mike Bargo are all there. He says they're all at Charlie Ely's house. And once Seth arrives at the house, Mike just basically comes out of nowhere and starts shooting Seth and he's dead. And Detective Stroop is like, so you saw Mike Bargo shoot him? And he's like, oh yeah, I saw it. I saw it happen. I had nothing to do with it. I had no idea anything was going to happen. I just saw it and I was scared to say anything. So then they bring Amber in and Amber pretty much tells the same story. Seth came to the house. Nobody knew Mike was going to shoot him and she was just an innocent bystander. She says that when they heard the gunshot, she and Charlie locked themselves in the bathroom and that Mike Bargo threatened them with harm should they tell anyone what happened. So she says that Mike told her, if you tell the police, I'll have two more bodies to add. So now they're going to bring in Charlie to see what she has to say. (laughs) So Charlie tells detectives that she knew Seth was coming over. So she's the first one that says that she knew he was coming over. They both, Amber and Kyle, say Seth showed up. That there was just a knock on the door. They didn't know he was coming. And when I guess Mike heard that he was there, he was just like, fuck it, I'm going to shoot him. Charlie says that, so she knew he was coming. Mm Mm-hmm. That Mike said he just wanted to scare Seth, but they didn't know that he was going to kill him. So she's the first one that says also that there was a plan that Mike planned to do something to Seth. She, of course, you know, is going to start saying it was we were just supposed to scare him. Like, how many times have we fucking heard that? Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody was going to kill this person. They were just going to try and scare them. Um But that's not what happened. So now that they've all been interviewed separately, the detectives decide to put all three of them back together in a room. And they are apparently unaware that they're they're being being recorded. (laughs) So they all just start talking about a murder plot or the murder plot. And Kyle says, we did not kill an innocent kid because this kid was not innocent. He threatened to burn my house and kill my family and he deserved it. You know, people are going to fucking hate us for this. People that don't even know us are going to be looking for us if we get out of this. Why? There's a fucking 15-year-old kid murdered because of us. Do you honestly think people want to be around that? Do you think people think there's 
those kind of people are supposed to be here. Yeah, but it's not our fault. Hell, I don't even like them fucking kind of people. And I'm one of them now. I don't even... And I didn't even do anything. Yeah, I didn't want none of this to happen. We just got stupid and fell into Mike's trap. Yeah, like that's always. exactly. Like always. Like always, because he like, knows he can talk me into anything. He knows he can. How do you tell somebody you love them and you never leave them or hurt them, and then you do this? And then on top of that, you say, if you tell anyone, I'm going to kill you too. This would have never happened if it wasn't for Mike. Mm-hmm. The plot thickens, eh? Oh, yeah. So, now we have them talking. Right. I, I mean, I guess at that point, I would not have known any of this either. Like, that they would be recording everything. But where I am now, I'm like, can you, how can you be so fucking stupid? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, um, of course, you know, Amber is going to throw it all. She's she's a master manipulator. Kyle is like, we didn't kill an innocent person. He wasn't innocent. Like, He's throwing it all in and then Amber kind of brings it back around and is like, well, hang on, though. We didn't want any of this to happen. It was all Mike. Mike is the one who did this. He knows he can get me to do anything he wants me to do. Like, it's always somebody else's fault. Somebody wrapped her into something and, you know, they did, they used her, basically. Mm-hmm. And Detective Stroop calls this a performance by Amber and she calls her manipulative and diabolical. Ooh, that's like the... Harsh words. Yeah. So, um, at this point, all three are booked for premeditated murder. And, I mean, I already said it, but I love Rhonda Stroop. She, like, has no time for their shit. <laughs> You're all going to be booked with first-degree premeditated murder. You two will go to the juvenile assessment center. You, go, you will go to the Marion County Jail. Okay? Uh-huh. Take a deep breath. You'll have no bond. You won't be getting out. This is a very serious crime. I don't think it gets much more serious than this. <laughs> We're all in for murder. He didn't do anything with the body or anything like that. If I was, I'm going to be fucking 20 by the time I get out. If you didn't catch it there, Amber says, I'll be fucking 20 by the time I get out. <laughs> no, bitch. You're in for life. Yeah, that's wishful thinking. Yeah, murder one is not a couple-year sentence. I don't know if she thought because she was a juvenile she'd, like, get a slap on the wrist. But she ended up being tried as an adult, so she's not getting out. Yeah. At this point, police comb through phone records of the three incarcerated teens, and they corroborate William's story that Amber had contacted Seth, claiming to want to get back together that night around 7 p.m. William would never lie. Uh, No, he wouldn't. And also, I would give him my bank account number. Yes. She my social security number. Exactly. She said that she wanted to talk about things and work stuff out, but that her friend Charlie was going to be with her so that she could provide emotional support. She said that she'd been talking to Charlie about everything and she needed her there to, like, help her through this conversation. And she also told Seth to keep it a secret that he was going to meet her. She said she didn't want anyone to know until they got everything completely hashed out. So, like, she didn't want people to think they were getting back together if they ended up deciding not to, basically. So, like, keep it a total secret. Don't tell anybody you're coming here. This is just between us. 
super suspicious. Yeah, totally. Um, but that's why William didn't know that Seth was going to go meet Amber rather than just going home like he had told William he was going to do. So at 7.58 p.m., Amber texted Seth, meet me at the corner of 140th Street and 58th Court near Charlie's house. At 8 o'clock, Seth says, okay, I'm walking up the hill now. At 8.05, Amber says, see you there. 8.22, Seth says, I'm at the neighborhood road. And then at 8.56, Seth says, Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. So if I get jumped, say goodbye, all right? Amber then persuades Seth to come back to Charlie's house. And Kyle is in the living room at that point. Mike's plan is for Amber to text him when she and Seth are coming back to the house so that they can be ready. But when Seth enters, Justin Soto... So here's a name. I don't think we've mentioned Justin before. No. Justin was there. Everybody kind of left him out of their stories for whatever reason, but he was there and he was part of it. So Justin was supposed to hit Seth over over the head with the two by four, and then Kyle was going to jump him, and then Mike was going to shoot him. Good God. And they're saying all this was just supposed to scare him. So it would scare me. uh, Well, yeah. So when Seth came in, Justin didn't do anything. He didn't run at him. He didn't hit him. He didn't do anything. He froze. Kyle and Mike are in the back of the house waiting. And with Justin having cold feet, Mike was telling Kyle, you've got to hit him in the head with the two by four. And Kyle is like, I'm not sure if I can do it. And Mike is like, dude, remember, Seth disrespected Amber, and this has got to happen. And this is all what what Kyle says. So, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt, because none of these kids are actually going to tell the truth. No. So, this is your your warning. If you don't want to hear disturbing details, you're going to want to skip over the next part, because what happens next is absolutely horrific. How um, sweet of you to put that disclaimer on there. Yeah. It's really thoughtful. Yeah. I don't want anybody to, you know, go through something they're not ready to go through. I'm just so proud of you for saying It's that. horrible. It is. Um, Kyle comes out of the back room. He does hit Seth in the head with the block of wood. Then Seth starts to run away. Um, and he's obviously realized, like, he's walked into an ambush. This is six against one. He can't. He's got to go. So he's trying to run. He makes it. Um, he's, like, going through the house. He's getting to the front door. Mike Bargo comes out of the back of the house and he shoots him twice in the back. He keeps running. Oh, wow. He still goes. So he goes out into the front yard. When he gets out into the front yard, um, Justin finally is now taking part and he tackles Seth to the ground. And then Mike comes up behind him while Seth is on the ground. He shoots him once in the back of the head. Oh, my gosh. But Seth is not dead. (gasps) He's still not dead. So, and there's a little bit of debate as to whether, like, Mike Bargo just happened to hit him in such a way that he didn't die when he shot him in the back of the head, or if he knew what he was doing and wanted him to stay alive. Because mm-hmm. at this point, they they drag Seth back in the house, they drag him through, they put him in the bathtub, and Mike orders that Seth be left alive. Nobody else do anything to him. He said, I want him to know who's killing him. He wanted him to see his face before he died. So I have a hard time thinking that Mike Bargo is a good enough shot. 
to know exactly where and to put knows the enough about human anatomy. But he did. He really. I mean, he said the words. He wanted him to be alive for enough of it. Yeah. So I don't know if it just happened that way or if he. I think it was what he wanted. I don't know. He just yeah. doesn't strike me as a very smart individual. Sure. But um. So at that point, so Seth is in the bathtub. Mike says he wants him to know he's killing him. And Justin and Kyle are tasked with cleaning up the blood in the living room and the kitchen. So they had drug him through. He's bleeding everywhere. So they're cleaning up all this blood, trying to hide the scene. Um, pointless, guys, because everybody knew it was you immediately. Um, but while they're doing that, Mike is still in the bathroom and he's like screaming at Seth. He's yelling at him. He's beating him with his fist, like, you know, every few minutes, like hitting him. Um, he breaks his kneecaps. Oh my God. And he starts dismembering him. So he's still alive and he's doing this because they had a sleeping bag that they had decided that they were going to use to transport his body to the bonfire because they had already started a fire earlier in the night, knowing that they were going to burn Seth's body when they were finished with him. So they couldn't fit him in the bag that they wanted him to fit in. Without dismembering him. Yeah. So, and he's still alive. So, I wonder what all he could feel. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope it was, you know, your body goes into shock and you don't know. Because you you hear those people who are like, I got shot like four times, but I didn't even know I had been shot, you know, until much later or whatever. I really hope that was the case for him. Yeah. Um, Mike then shoots him a few more times. So the coroner report states that there were eight gunshot wounds total that hit Seth. I don't know if Mike fired additional shots other than that, but he was actually shot eight times. Kyle told Mike to stop with all the shooting, uh, you know, not because of how horrible it is or that he's killing somebody, because he was afraid the neighbors would hear it and call the police. So finally, Seth succumbs to his injuries and he passes away. And the teens place his body in a sleeping bag, carry him to the backyard. They said they were tending the fire till about 2.30 in the morning. And then the next morning, his charred remains were placed into paint buckets and dropped into a nearby rock quarry uh, by Mike Bargo, Justin Soto, and Mike's former stepfather, James Haven. So James admitted to helping Bargo dispose of the buckets, but he claimed he didn't know what was in them, that he was just helping him get rid of stuff. And he wasn't there that night. Yeah. Um, But he was like, I didn't know what was in it. I just went with him and we trekked. You can't get to where they threw these buckets off by car. You have to drive there and then you have to like hike up and then throw them over like into the water. I just don't see, like, it's just crazy to me that this man... Would be like a grown man. Yeah. Oh, okay. So my trash bag stepson needs me to help him do this stuff. No questions asked. I'll do it. You know. Yeah. Like wh- what's in this, in these buckets that you can't just throw them in the dumpster or, you know, not hike like forever to get to where you're gonna drop them. It's obviously really suspicious. Totally. So, yeah. He's like, oh, I don't know what's in them. So now we have six people mm-hmm. who knew that a person was gonna be murdered. And said and did nothing. Nobody texts Seth and says, don't come here. Nobody calls the police and says, Mike Bargo has a gun. He's going to shoot somebody. 
nothing. They all let him show up there and they all took part. Like, even though Charlie, there's really nothing that says that she or Amber, I guess, administered any blows or anything like that. But they were both there at the corner when Seth got there and walked him back to the house. Yeah, they enticed him to come. Yeah. During the interrogation or when Rhonda Stroop tells them that she's bringing charges and they're all going to jail, Charlie is like, well, but we didn't do anything. So what happens to those of us who didn't do anything? And she's like, you're going to jail. (laughs) And she's like, well, but I know for me personally, I was scared because Mike had a gun and Rhonda like cuts him off. And she says, uh, first of all, let's get over that hump, okay? We all knew about it. We all planned it. We were all complicit. Somebody got murdered. And then when Charlie is trying to do the whole, you know, I was scared because Mike has a gun. She's like, you know what? Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Like, stop all this. Do you think we haven't been listening to everything you've been saying in here? Are you that stupid, really? <laughs> Just stop. Dang, Rhonda. I know. I was like, I love you. Because... Of course, they're going to try and use anything that they can. And like, fortunately for the investigation, they are that stupid. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. Mm -hmm. They're like how they didn't think that this was going to immediately lead directly to them. I have no idea because you also have cell phone records and you have conversations. And what year was this? 2011. Yeah. I mean... I don't know if they thought, well, we have Seth's phone, too. So, like, the phone is destroyed. So, you can't find anything. But, I mean, the records are there. They have every text message. Mm -hmm. Like, you can get that with a subpoena. So, police go to Charlie's house. And they comb that fire pit. And they find tons of bone fragments And they also go to the rock quarry and they go into the water where Kyle says they're going to find the remains and they do. And testing confirms that both set of bone fragments belong to Seth Jackson. So at this point, they still haven't located Michael Bargo. I was wondering, yeah, he's like hiding out. They can't find him and nobody wants to tell where he is. So they finally find him hiding out at a friend's house, which is also stupid because Police are going to talk to people and find out who you know, and then they're going to go to those people's houses. Totally. So, idiot. Um, he's charged with first-degree murder, and without... He's kind of the ringleader. They're saying that he it was his idea to kill Seth. It was his idea to get Seth to come out there that night, but without Amber texting yeah, him. I don't see that that way at all. Yeah, he wouldn't have gone to Charlie's house that night. And with Amber being as manipulative as she is, who do you think planted that seed? Because, yeah, maybe he was mad that he got beat the hell up. But how do you go from that to where what they did to? Right. And Seth? Kyle says, and there are a lot of people like after this whole case or whatever, that Amber was accusing Seth of abusing her and she did in that one post say throwing me through walls she technically said throwing me but (laughs) it's here nor there um but she said that he was physically abusive and she also claimed that he'd raped her so there's two options here either that happened or it did not happen and maybe she told Mike Bargo that to rile him up to manipulate him into 
getting revenge on Seth, which is what she wanted. Mm-hmm. So a- it's very reminiscent, even though it's not, but what Gypsy Rose did mm-hmm. to get someone to kill her mom. Right. Yeah. Like her abuse was, it was definitely valid. Real. Yeah. Yeah. But Amber's may or may not have been. Of course, if, if Seth was abusive to her, she didn't report it to anybody. Um, that's not to say it didn't happen because that it's a lot of people don't report it. Um, but I don't know. I think she used sex to kind of control Seth. Yeah. I, get what I don't think it was the other way around and it's evidenced in their relationship that she, I mean, he, how long did he walk? I mean, we're looking at those text messages and they're texting at like seven fifty eight, and it's not till almost eight thirty that he gets to where she is. So he walked like a half hour to get to her. And after all that back and forth on on Facebook and whatever and how angry he was and then she was like, hey, can you come over? And he's like, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I just don't, I don't see that in the evidence. Like, yeah, I feel like it would have been the other way around. You know, in situations where somebody is abusive, they're in Amber's position. They're mm-hmm. the one saying, come over. And then the other person is like, okay, I would walk 500 miles for that. Right. Like, but, I mean, what does she have? Beer flavored nipples? Like, that's... Apparently. Oh, she's so she gross. gross. Yeah. Um, so, so I kind of think that's probably what happened. Maybe Mike Bargo, she took advantage of his temper and the fact that he was known to be really angry and pop off, you know, like maybe she just knew that about him and thought if I tell him that he has, Seth has disrespected me or hurt me in some way that he will escalate the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And then that will take care of it for me. Um, um, it could, I just think it could go either way. Mm -hmm. Um, but And with her in that interrogation room saying, she made a point to say, how does somebody tell you they love you and they'd never hurt you and they'd never leave you and then do this to you? He knew he could get me to do whatever he wanted. He knew that if he, you know, told me to do this, that I would do it. Like, she makes a point to go through all of that. And I really think that that coupled with the fact that she still thought she was going home later that day. That's the kind of realization. So like, I feel like if you're in an abusive relationship like that, say like when all that happened with me, it took me years to really realize what had happened yeah, and how bad it was. Well, cause you were seeing it through different, like you didn't, you didn't see it at all. Like yeah. You couldn't see it. Exactly. And so I feel like with her sitting in that room, it's not going to be this light bulb that is like, well, you know, Mike knew he could get me to do whatever he wanted me to do. He was totally manipulative of me that I feel like that's a realization that takes a while to come out in a 15 year old's head who's head over heels in love with somebody. But she's immediately throwing him under the bus and she knew exactly how she was going to do that by saying that he manipulated me and it was all I did all of this because I cared about him and I had no idea what his intentions were kind of thing Mm -hmm. I mean it just it all shows me that she I think she was the mastermind yeah myself um so at this point Amber Charlie Kyle and Justin are arrested. They all go to trial. 
and they're all convicted of murder and they're sentenced to life in prison without without parole. And Charlie Ely's attorney happens to be none other than Jose Baez. No way. Yeah, who represented Casey Anthony. Summerfield is pretty close to Orlando. It's a stone's throw, if you will. Oh. One thing I didn't look up is how many miles between. Annoying. I know. It's like half-ass, right? <laughs> um. So Mike Bargo ends up getting convicted as well, and he gets the death penalty. And at his trial... A man who had also been at the police station. So the same day that they brought Mike Bargo in and I'll post his mugshot too. He's got these like injuries on his face that, um, it does look like almost something like burned, like splotchy burns on his face or something. So when the police are bringing him in, there's another guy there who had turned himself in for a parole violation or probation violation or something. And, He's like, dude, what happened to your face? And he said that Mike said, oh, well, I was burning this kid Seth's body and I threw something in the fire to keep it burning and it exploded and like got pellets all over my face or whatever. And the guy's like, oh, (laughs) not what I was expecting you to say. Yeah. So, you know, was that true? I don't know. But um, that's exactly what happened to his face, I think. So it's interesting that he said that. Um, Mike Bargo became the youngest prisoner on Florida's death row at 19 years old. And in March of this year, Mike Bargo is going to be resentenced. Um, so his conviction still stands. He's still convicted of murder. He, he obviously was the trigger man. Um, everybody agrees on that. And I think he admitted to it, but after the Florida Supreme court ruled in October of 2016, that the death penalty verdicts have to be unanimous jury decisions. His sentence was overturned. So his jury did sentence him to death, but it was with a two, a 10 to two vote. Mm. So it wasn't unanimous. So they're going to have to come. They'll have to get a jury reconvened. Um, and they'll have to decide if it's going to be unanimous. So in the, the <coughs> prosecutor who's doing the resentencing trial or whatever she wanted more time or he was the defense i don't know one of them wanted more time they usually give them nine months to prepare for a resentencing and she wanted more time it had to have been the defense because she was saying that she uncovered a lot of like mental issues in his past and now they're saying that he's got um some schizophrenia and some things like that going on so she really wanted to kind of dig into that she wanted to present some mitigating factors so that she could get him life and not the death penalty. Yeah. And the judge was like, no, bitch, you don't get any more time than anybody else does. So she's going to have to wrap it up. But that's going to happen in, well, it is March. I keep forgetting. It's mm-hmm. March. So it's going to happen this month. He said that he's not going to let them put it past. So we will uh, keep an eye on that and update everybody on that. I'll set a Google alert. And... um Charlie Ely is appealing her conviction as well on the basis that she had ineffective counsel. She has a free Charlie Ely Facebook page. (laughs) And as of right now, there hasn't been a development in her attempts to regain her freedom. Um, There's like 253 likes on the page and there's multiple posts on it from the moderator being like, if you're going to say bad shit about Charlie, get off the page and like, I'll <laughs> ban you. So I think it's getting a lot of negative attention. And there was one post that I read where 
think it was like around Christmas. And she's like, well, I guess it's she. I don't know. Charlie is doing really well, but she had a rough Christmas. She didn't get as many cards as she thought she was going to get. So once again, she feels left out and forgotten. Um, she did get to talk to her mom and two of her sisters. So that was good. All this stuff. So I guess she she feels like people on the outside world don't care enough about her. Well, that's too damn bad, Charlie. I mean, yeah, I don't really know. And I, I do feel bad. I've, I mean, you feel bad for the the family? defendants' families because they also, in a sense, are losing their kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it definitely turns their world upside down. And it's certainly something they weren't hoping to have had happen. Um, it's not their fault, really. I don't know. But to be sad that you didn't have a good Christmas because you're in jail because you helped someone be murdered. I don't know. That's like, that's hard for me to. Yeah. And the way that it happened. It is so heinous and brutal. Like, and maybe she did not take part in that, but she offered up her house as a place to do it. And she could have very well. Seth wasn't, he didn't die immediately. He, he was tough. He hung on for a really long time. She could have called the police at any fucking point in mm-hmm. that. Any point. And maybe could have saved his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so I'm sorry. You didn't... Not only did you help lure him there, but you didn't do anything to change the situation. And you fucking provided the place for it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't tell the police anything about it the next day. Yeah. Like, yeah, fuck you. Um... So at Kyle Hooper's trial, Seth's mom, Sonia, gave a victim impact statement. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and I'm going to play it. It's it's like four minutes long. So, I mean, it's pretty long, but I think it's powerful. And, um, and I also watched the Pierce Morgan Killer Women. <laughs> He's such a tool. I hate yeah. Pierce Morgan. But um, they did talk to Scott and Sonia, Seth's parents, And Sonia says towards the end, like, maybe one day I'll be able to forgive them. And Scott looks at her like, the fuck did you say? (laughs) And he's like, no, no. Like, Scott's never going to be to that point. And that's okay. Like, they're each going to have to deal with it in their own way. Um, But, I mean, it's just, obviously, it's completely torn them apart. And, I mean, I'm going to play the statement, but what she says in it, and part of it is, you know, yeah, these other parents have, in a sense, lost their kids, but they can still talk to them on the phone and they can still hear them say, I love you. And she doesn't get that anymore. So, you know, it's just they're never going to go through the same pain that she's going through. Yeah, it's completely different. Words cannot describe the pain and suffering you have inflicted on our family. You have taken so much from so many. The loss of our son has been the most difficult thing we have ever had to bear. It has changed our lives and the way we think, feel, and live. Our lives will never be the same, as we will never see our son grow up or have children of his own. Nor will we ever spend another birthday or holiday with our son. As I stand here today, or sit, Facing children who have taken our son's life, I asked myself, they are just kids. Is life in prison the right punishment for them? 
The hours before any action was taken proves the kind of person they really are. They had plenty of time to think about what was going to happen. The thoughts running through their minds should have raised red flags. They say their minds are not fully developed at this age. This is true, but it does not take a fully developed mind to know and understand right from wrong. After all, a two-year-old learns that hurting others is not accepted in our society. This was no accident. This was a planned murder that they all agreed to, talked about, and thought about. They even took steps to prepare for it. Seth and Kyle were friends at one time. Kyle even spent time in our home. I will never understand how someone who was supposed to be Seth's friend exhibited hatred towards him. Kyle agreed to the plan. He helped prepare for it. He gathered wood for the fire. Did he not think about what that fire was for? He was the first person to actually start the attack on Seth. He administered the first blow. After being beaten and shot several times, Seth still managed to run outside where Kyle again made a choice to continue with the plan and bring Seth back inside. knowing he would not live. Kyle made the choice to take Seth's life, but Seth was never given a choice. Therefore, Kyle should not have a choice either. Kyle, the life you took can never be given back. Now the life you will lead will remind you that Seth did deserve to live. You helped take Seth's life, and I hope he haunts the rest of yours. The actions he carried out have changed all our lives. We understand that his family feels they have lost him, but he is still here for them to talk to, to hug, and to hear his I love yous. Let me remind them that their child is not dead. We will never have those precious moments again. The Bible says an eye for an eye, so be thankful that you live within a justice system that does not live by this code. This is why we ask that he spend the rest of his life behind bars, because death is not an option. So what do you think? Do you think that the juveniles should have been tried as adults? Do you agree with their life sentences? Do you think that Michael Bargo should still be sentenced to death? Let us know on our Facebook discussion group or leave us a comment at killerqueenspodcast.com. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Lilas! <laughs>